Hi guys, Paul from the Innovation Community here. Today I'm with Liana Lubel from Abbott. Now, Liana is the Global Head of Strategic Insights for Established Pharmaceuticals at Abbott and also has senior experience with Nielsen as well. Great to have you with us. Hi Paul, how are you? Yes, very well, very warm. And just tell us a bit about yourself in a few words to start with. Right. Well, you described my role, but I think uh, importantly for, for this podcast is just I am a really a curious person and really insatiable. I'm always looking for something new. And I think that that's where my probably my love for data came for. Yeah. So where did your career in data really start? Um, I would actually have to say that it's cool, interestingly, and uh, not in a great way. So um, I studied marketing and uh, the first, I can't remember what, what class it was exactly, but when they started talking about data, I, I swore that I would actually never work in market research and never anything related to data. So there you go. I was very wrong. But yeah, I think that that's where it all started. And how has that changed over time? Uh, well, I mean, luckily, uh, real life is actually pretty different than school, right? Uh, and so already with my first job, I think I realized pretty quickly how important actually data was and uh, uh, how, how much it could actually bring to my career and in general to what I was actually doing. So what happened basically is I, I, I think I had been in the role for about a month or so, and I was challenged by my CMO at the time to work on a launch proposal for a new product. So at the time it was, I believe it was a hairstyling product and to put it together in a week and to present to the board. And obviously I was just coming out of school, right? So I had absolutely no idea. I barely knew what a launch proposal was actually and a hairstyling product. I only knew from using it, right? But nothing else. So I was a little bit in panic, but I, I actually accepted the challenge and at the time, the head of research actually offered to help me. And so it turned out that with data and with her help, I was actually able to put down a story that I felt comfortable telling. And that at the same time, um, it was good enough that the board of directors actually uh, bought the idea and we were able to launch the product. And so I think that I felt that as my first sort of success, and obviously, that made me fell in love with, with data, I think. So what are you up to in your current role? Well, um, just like at the time, I was actually trying to build that story to, um, to sell to the board of directors the, the launch. Right now, I am still trying to build stories. But this time, I am really in charge of building stories to change a culture, a whole culture. Uh, so the idea is to have uh, the company become a lot more data-driven, a lot more insights-driven. And this comes all from understanding what consumers actually want, but using data and using facts to be able to do it and to be able to base every decision uh, based on data, right? So really trying to inspire people to lose the fear of data that they have to use it and to understand the power behind it so that we can find growth opportunities. And again, as I said, like sort of make every decision based on, on data.
makes a, makes a lot of sense. So what really is the interest about continuing to work with data for you then? Yeah, so I think that um, I, I found over my career that business people, most business people are afraid of data uh, on one hand. And on the other hand, most data lovers, uh, let's call them that way, or, or scientists, in a way get very technical, right? And are in love with the technical details. And I said, I, I think that the, the strength really comes from the mixture of these two, right? And, and finding the right balance of it. And that is what I am really interested on. So I mentioned that my background was, or, or my, what I studied was in marketing, right? So I don't have a, a technical background per se, but I have never been afraid of data. And I, I have been, it has been pretty easy for me to understand it. And I have been very good at making the link between what the business wants, what we need out of data, and then how can we use data to answer those questions. And I think um, I have been able with a lot of examples to find stories in which I can show how, how, to, uh, how to use that data for the power of the business, right? And uh, it's just exciting every time that you actually do it. Absolutely. So what are some of the major successes you've achieved over your career? Um, huh, that's a, that's a hard one. Uh, well, I, I would actually say that every career move that I have made is actually has, has data, has had data implications or is actually at the base because of data, right? So I talked a little bit about my first job and how I, from a, I was a brand manager and how I actually use data, right? But then afterwards, because of that, I actually decided that's when I decided to move into insights and be a lot more involved into data. I actually found that uh, brand managers were not uh, were not as data savvy as I wanted actually to be. So that that decided really data decided my first move, right? But that is true for some other of my moves. Um, I used to live in Mexico, and uh, then I moved for personal reasons to France. And when I moved to France, I was offered a job in a forecasting company. And uh, not, not any forecasting company, but actually like the most famous, right, and well-known uh, forecasting companies in the consumer good product. And I had no idea what forecasting was, but I took on the role. And I did a pretty good job. I actually was... Um, uh, involved in creating uh, the model of forecasting for some Eastern European countries, right? right? Even though my background was not of science. So again, like very heavy implications of data that took the decision or that made me take the decision of every move of my career, right? And these are just two examples, but this is true, I think, if I look back throughout my career of how I, make, I, have, I have made the moves, right? And tell me about a time that you affected change in a major organization and some of the challenges that came with that. Um, well, um, I was uh, once working in um, changing how a company was assessing their innovation opportunities and trying to bring in technology to their process uh, to make that process actually faster and overall sort of more efficient, 
right? So that they could actually bring products to the market faster. Uh, it took less time, but actually with a very solid process of evaluation of that, those ideas before bringing them to market. So trying to bring in uh, pretty, like sort of getting, removing the risk pretty early on in the process. And as I started, actually, I realized the amount of working on it. I, I realized the amount of, of challenges that were uh, involved in it, right? On one hand, I mean, the company already had a process that was working and that was established there and we've established norms uh, for many, many years, right? And so we actually needed to change that and we needed to make people comfortable with the idea that the new system was actually going to give as robust measures as they had before. And we needed to establish sort of a bridge between these norms that they had, these old norms, and whatever they were getting, they were going to get now, right? Which was not, not at all exactly the same, but how it was better and how to interpret them. But it also had a, a really big human implication because the innovation process in a company really uh, has to do with everything else. It determines a lot of things in the company, right? It determines supply chain, the demand process. It, it determines how people actually, for example, how leadership take, takes decisions in a meeting of what things should be launched or not, right? And so we, we had to make sure that before rolling out these, these were actually ironed out, that everyone was actually feeling comfortable. And let's not forget the, the, the effect that has just the change per se. People overall, like I would say humans, are, are not very good with change. We, we don't like it, right? We get very uncomfortable, even if the change actually makes sense. So having to work through that and making sure that everyone was aligned and that we were rolling out this smoothly throughout uh, all the different regions, right? This was a global client. It actually took a lot, a lot of work and a lot of uh, people involved uh, to be able to make it happen. And it's really funny because when you look back, it seems so easy, right? It is just a change of a couple of methodologies, but overall, um, it, it does require quite a bit of work to be able to do it. Mm, I, can, I can definitely imagine. Uh, where does technology really fit into this as a, as a picture in your eyes? Um, so for this example, or like just, uh, you mean like sort of in general? In general. Yeah, in general. So I actually think that it is, it is hard nowadays um, for people not to, or, or, or rather the other way around. Like I think that people don't necessarily understand how, how much we are uh, integrated with technology these days, right? Some people would actually, some scientists would actually say that we we almost become robots, right? Because we most of our daily life has to do something with technology, and I think that this will just uh, keep on increasing, obviously, right? Um, and I think that um, I I personally appreciate technology greatly for everything that I do, right? From from actually my phone and being able to be in contact with people far away from people in Mexico right now that I live in Switzerland uh, or from people in the US since I live there 
but also even getting my way around with the maps and whatever since I, I get lost everywhere. I have actually no sense of direction, right? But in terms of work as well, I think that, for example, we, we have all experienced the advantages of, uh, of technology now um, that we can actually communicate with our teams now that most of us are, are working remotely, right? And if it wasn't for technology and how naturally it actually feels, we would actually not be able to do it. Um, so I, I can't even imagine, right, a, a life without technology anymore. Right. Mm, mm, absolutely. What was the biggest impact that you made on a transformation? Um, well, I think if I talk about um, like sort of uh, trying to um, transform a company area, right, into the culture of a given area into becoming insight driven. Um, it, it is something that was interesting for me to see was the fact that small changes are actually the ones that make probably like sort of the, the best or, or the biggest difference, right? Um, when, when I started in that role and I, 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 I was, uh, tasked with changing that culture, I sort of had a lot of ideas and I had a lot of really, really cool ideas that I could do with data and like how we, I can use technology to be able to change processes and how we were doing things. Um, but because I realized that we had a lot of data in place and that the data was probably not being used the way that or, or in the extent that we could actually take advantage job, I decided very early on that we actually needed to put together a very simple sort of daily um, notice with the three or four things that leadership had to pay attention to. So three or four things that you have to know today. And these three or four things could be about anything, right? But they were all obviously backed with data and they could be about our competitors it could be about our performance it could actually be about absolutely anything something that was happening in supply chain um, that could impact our business and I mean it seems very simple because it is just a summary right of three or four actions but obviously we were putting our reputation as a department on the line, right? Because we were actually writing implications of those. And we were making a selection of everything that was happening to only select these three or four things. But incredible enough, as easy as it seems, uh, and as simple as it seems, this little document actually opened a lot of doors for, all, for us. And uh, it just made a leadership realize how much more we could actually anticipate. And they were all of a sudden very eager to get more data, to understand more, to get even more into the anticipatory thinking. Um, so really it had an, an impact that I did not uh, expect it from just a simple document where I, I was actually just trying to start bringing the light of some of the information that we already had available, right? Mm, fantastic, fantastic case study there. Uh, obviously, a big part of transformation is, is teams. How would you describe your leadership style? 
well, I don't know if this is exactly what my teams would actually say of me, right? But uh, uh, I think that they, they think I'm, I'm rather tough. But overall, um, I, I would say two words that, that would describe it would be, or that are important for me, are empowerment and, and accountability, right? I try to set a vision and then I, I make sure that people are themselves in answering that vision. So I ask a lot of questions, but I make sure that they actually drive it in a very personal way. So I have made throughout my career a, a, an effort to have very diverse teams. Um, and the reason for it being that I'm pretty persuasive, uh, have a strong character, and I, I get very passionate, right, about things. And so if I'm not careful about bringing in new perspectives, um, things look very much like me, right? Which is not how the world actually should be. And so I, I therefore have learned that I, I really need to empower them and, and let them be who they are and let them bring like their personal self and who each of them, their differences to work and make sure that they are working on something that they feel uh, excited about and that they feel proud about and um yeah i think that um and i i, I try to make a lot of uh, teamwork so my my team works uh pretty closely together and they share a lot and they build on each other differences uh because they not all know how to do every little thing that we actually need to do um so i guess that that's probably a good description yeah, and I'm sure they, they appreciate it. <laughs> where, where did you see the biggest opportunity for improvement within your organization? Oh, wow. Uh, I see many, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I, think, I, I see many because uh, I'm actually a change lover, right? And um, I, I have trained myself to see sort of opportunities of changes everywhere. So I, I see a lot of opportunities, but overall, and this is not only for Apple, but, but like sort of in general, I think that uh, companies and especially pharma still has a long way to go in um, mixing data and getting the value out of mixed data. So breaking the silos of data and of information and of facts and trying really to integrate the external data and the internal data that they actually have. Uh, pharma companies actually own a lot of data, right? But they are, most of them, a lot of companies are just sitting in there. And um, systems don't necessarily talk to each other. So I, I think that still the biggest opportunity is on trying to find ways to marry that data and to try to take the power out of it and to try to like the interpretation of that data within each of the companies to give them their own uh, flavor and culture is where the value will actually bring. So I, I think there's a long way to go there still. And what was the biggest mistake you made during your career? Oh, wow. I have made a lot. <laughs> mm. I made a lot because I think that that's um that's the way that you learn right but um but one that will i think will stay with me forever was um when i was in in this forecasting company and um and i missed a sales forecast but this was quite an important one so we were actually consulting a company they wanted to launch a product 
um, in Indonesia. And Indonesia is like a pretty difficult market for some for certain products because the way that they this was a personal care product and they were launching in in sachet, right? Uh, so in little doses because they cannot uh, they they can't people can't afford buying a big uh, a big bottle of of whatever it is of cream or whatever it is. And so we were actually, my team and I were working on this forecast and this was a, a very big client, right? And we were working then with, with a long time. And I have to say for the record, right? Because everyone that is going to listen to this is going to think that um, I was totally crazy. But for the record, I had a, a very good record of forecasting in the, in the right? And my team had actually done very good forecasting in the past for this company. So our arrogance actually took us to do a, to present a forecast that was 10 times lower than what the client actually expected. Um, and that was actually tough to do. Like the client went so much, I mean, difference is so big as you can imagine, right? That any other company would have decided not to launch with it, right? So usually this, this was a, what they took as a decision to launch or not to launch. This client actually decided to go ahead with the launch, but because of the forecast that we did, um, they actually had quite a bit of problems uh, with the supply because they were not foreseeing um, the amount of product, they, they were not sure of the amount of product that was going to be needed. So it had very big implications, even though they were still ahead, uh, they, they went ahead with the launch. Um, and the good thing is that because of the partnership that we had with the client um, and working with them, we understood what the mistake was and we were able to move forward with them, working together with them, right? But, uh, but I think this, this really taught me that you, you have to, not only in this case, like work together with the client, but most importantly, you really have to, to listen closely uh, to your to your clients to your customers right uh, be as close as possible uh, to the source let's call it that way and it's a little bit like what designers called being at the gemba right um, and the gemba is at um, for for those of uh, for those people listening to them I don't know what it is the gemba is a term used a lot by by design thinking and it basically uh, talks about promoting collaboration and uh, trust close to who you are designing to, right? So that every, so that they feel part like a team member and they feel part of what you're doing and they offer advice to it and then you design based on that. And I think that that forecasting mistake really taught me that, that I should always keep on questioning myself and be as close as possible to uh, how things are, where things are happening before taking a decision. Uh, again, uh, another mistake that, that you seem to, to learn from, which is, which is great. What are your thoughts on the impact of COVID-19 and how has that affected your role? Oh, well, um, it's, it's actually hard to, to talk about the that's of COVID and not think about the human impact, right? Um, and all the suffering that this is causing throughout throughout the world. Uh, I mean, who would have thought, right, when we, like last year, that we would have seen actually so many people impacted, so many people dead, and the, like, just the economic proportion that this is actually taking, right? 
and I, when I, I don't know, sometimes when I see the news, I actually feel that in some countries we are almost becoming immune to what is happening. Like it is just absolutely crazy. So, so it is hard to actually be removed from that. Uh, but independent of that, like from a, a work-related point of view, right? I think that we know that that disruptive event actually accelerates trends that are happening in the market, right? And as such, I, I actually think that there is a big opportunity and I'm very excited about what is happening. So specifically for our, our, our work, right? I think that technology is actually going to take a, a leading role in a lot of things where it was taking a little bit of a back office kind of thing. So I'll make just one example, right? But telehealth. So if I give you some examples of our markets, for example, China, right? Uh, China, 50% of the population at least lives in rural areas. And as you can imagine, there is no possibility of having enough doctors and enough hospitals to be able to attend them correctly for any medical need, right? So telehealth is actually the perfect solution for all of this. But telehealth up until now was actually not something like very much used in the world. I mean, not even in the US, right? Or not even in China where technology, where they are pretty open to technology. I mean, telehealth was not being used. But with COVID, actually 70% of um, every prescription or every doctor visit was had to be done through telehealth. And so reality is that this made evident and for both the doctors and for patients and overall it made evident like the advantages that telehealth can actually bring right and so we won't go back to the normal of having only face-to-face -face visits to doctor and I think that this is very exciting and very encouraging um, because we, with these there will be the possibility of so many more people being able to be treated and also for doctors to be able to put a lot more attention on things where they are more valuable than probably, for example, some of the same, the first calls with, with patients, right? So I am, I am very excited about what, um, like the good part of what COVID is actually accelerating, right? That makes sense. And uh, what's your top working from home tip? Oh, um, well, I mean, for me, it was actually pretty, pretty natural working from home. But I do have to say that I had some team members that had never actually worked from home and for, from, for which it was not as easy, right? Um, but I think that the tools that we have uh, nowadays, actually, there are a lot of different ones uh, that can help you really bring communication to the same levels as if you were we're working at the office and I think that as long as you like keep on that communication as natural as possible right and as uh, that being with a mix in my team specifically we actually do it with a mix of sometimes it's messenger sometimes it's whatsapp sometimes it is actually video calls and we we use them throughout the day and we use them a little bit now now it's so natural that it is not even planned right 
so as long as you keep that communication actually going, I think that that is the most important thing uh, uh, for in terms of teamwork. And then I just think that the hardest thing of working from home is stopping work, right? So having that discipline, not only to like stand up in the morning, some people talk about standing in the morning and taking a shower and getting dressed. I think that the most difficult part is at one point of the day, just saying, that's it. I'm closing my computer. That's it for today. See you tomorrow, right? For me, that's the most difficult one. Mm. Yeah, that's a tricky one. What does your routine look like? Well, I don't really have one, right? Um, I actually, uh, I think that one of the things that I like most about my job here at Abbott is that there's no such thing as routine. Like we are very open to experimenting and as such, of course, I have certain certain things that I have to do every day, like uh, pay attention to our performance or tracking our brands or uh, making sure uh, that we know what's going on, on among competitors and things like that, right? That are like more routine, right? But a big, big part of my day is actually new things that we're working on and something that maybe one of the team members decided that it was um, something excited that they wanted to start. So, so there's no really such thing as routine. And, and now there are some days that I'm staying at home, but now we are allowed some days to go to the office. So that also changes the routine. So even though I don't have the travels anymore, which I used to have, and I used to travel quite a bit, Nowadays, it is it is actually more uh, between traveling between the office and staying home mostly, um, and uh, a lot of chats uh, with my teams to see how they are. And what's the best piece of advice you ever received? Huh. Mm. Ah, I've received so many, but um, I think it was uh, Rockefeller probably who said that um, something like next to doing the right thing um the most important thing is to let people know that you did the right thing something like that don't quote me i don't know if it's exact quote right but it's something similar to that and i think that that is actually very important and that goes back to the issue that uh, that i think that most scientists and data lovers have right and we we get very involved into the data and the details and trying to find a solution for a certain problem but once we do that, we are ready for the next challenge. And we forget that the communication of the outcome is as important, right? We are not as good as that. Uh, so I think remembering that you have to tell others, otherwise, whatever you found has no impact in the world, right? What are you curious about right now? Huh, so, uh, so I am... Um, it has been a few months that I'm actually pretty interested in that, what it's called sci-art. Um, so a, a little bit of a mix between art and science. I think that uh, both scientists uh, and artists um, have a way of seeing, trying to explain the world in a, in a different way, right? Trying to find the meaning of the world, but they just do it in a very, from a different perspective. And I think that one, um, is very bad at what the other is very good at, right? And so I'm very interested in that. I'm trying to interest, uh, trying to understand how by understanding better art, I can probably be better at explaining what I find with 
and with data and with science and with technologies. So it, it has me very intrigued right now, that area. Who is your, currently your favorite thought leader or author? Um, well, I'm going to, change, to, to, to choose right now Neri, uh, Neri Oxman. Neri Oxman is an architect, actually, at MIT, but, but she, she actually created something called material ecology. And she uses a lot of technology advances, but also like things like 3D printing and scientific uh, biology to create a mix of architecture and works of art in a way, right? So um, if you haven't, if you don't know who she is, you should look her up. She's very famous for something called Silk Pavilion, the Silk Pavilion, where she actually created a whole structure with silkworms. Um, uh, very, like very, very interesting and very, very different. She also, I believe that she created or her group created the first uh, 3D printer with uh, optically transparent glass. And I think she's just, uh, I love her because not only she is innovative and doing this with a team and very challenging, but she brings everything that she does is very beautiful, but at the same time is, is really provoking, provoking from a science perspective, trying to break boundaries and provoking from, for whoever is actually seeing it, which is really totally unexpected. So yeah, right now I would say her. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, last question, what advice would you give for aspiring leaders in data? Um, I talked a lot about stories, so I think that it has to be to learn to tell a story. Um, be curious, right? Uh, I, I almost would say if you're not very good at this, well, challenge yourself and take impromptu acting. It, it really helps, right? Uh, but I think that we there's a lot of work that we need to do to be able to humanize data. Uh, there's a long way to go there, uh, but it, it, it really pays when you tell a good story, right? And uh, as hard as it is and harder we find it, like the next, the next kind of challenge of, uh, that you do on data will just make it easier and people will be more eager to, to listen to you. That was Leona Lubel from Abbott. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Paul.